Welcome to the New Books Network. What does it mean to be the people of God? Is it possible for Jewish and Christian people to engage in fruitful dialogue about their faiths with integrity and mutual respect, despite or perhaps because of the bitterly tragic history between them, especially of the ill treatment of Jewish people under the false guise of Christianity? Ongoing efforts toward charitable understanding and friendship are to be especially treasured. Tune in as we speak with Matthew Levering about his recent book, Engaging the Doctrine of Israel. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Matthew Levering is the James N. and Mary D. Perry, Jr. Chair of Theology at Mundelein Seminary in Mundelein, Illinois. He's the author of over 30 books, including four previous volumes, and is engaging the Doctrine Dogmatic series. He is the co-editor of two quarterly journals, Nova et Batera and International Journal of Systematic Theology. Matthew, welcome to New Books and Biblical Studies. Uh, thank you for having me. So, Matthew, tell us about yourself and how you came to write this book on the Doctrine of Israel. Well, so I'm, I'm a Catholic theologian, and I've always been involved with Jewish-Christian dialogue. So this book, in, to some degree, is an extension of, the, of earlier projects that I've done. But then also, also it is a part of this sort of quasi-dogmatics uh, series that I'm, that I'm doing that began with a book on the Doctrine of Revelation. And then um, this book is, is part of that. This book comes after a book I did on the marriage of God and, and the creation. So that book was called Engaging the Doctrine of Marriage. This, this book is a sequel to that. Now, the subtitle of your book is A Christian Israelology in Dialogue with Ongoing Judaism. Would you explain for us the nature of this dialogue, both its importance and its challenges? Well, so I've learned so much from my friend David Novak. I, I didn't really know much about Judaism when I began um, to be part of Jewish-Christian dialogue. Uh, there's a number, a number of challenges one of, one of the challenges um, has to do with Christian sins against the um, Jewish people, and also with the um, within the um, within the New Testament itself, um, the political context of the original engagement between the first Jewish Christians and their um, non-Jew non-Christian uh, Jews there in the in the very beginning of our. Um, you know, our faith. So, so that's polemical context then sort of exploded as the faith was handed on through Gentiles. And that polemical context caused some tremendous um, evils and uh, horrible persecutions and it contributed to the Holocaust. So these things are, are extremely painful. And then, um, of course, the, the dialogue would be difficult anyway, because there, there's fundamental differences about God's plan, God's purposes uh, for his people, and then the whole question of whether the Messiah has come. And if the Messiah has come, of course, the Messiah is the king of Israel, the king, um, the eschatological king, not, not some sort of temporal king. But um, there's then all those differences as well. So, so I think I think this is probably one of the most difficult and and painful areas of um, of Christian reflection. After a chapter addressing Jewish Christian dialogue, you have rich treatments of creation in Scripture, Exodus, Torah, Temple, Land, 
and king. Tell us about your reasoning and focusing on these specific categories. Well, I was, I was looking to do the um, sort of central elements of the faith of the people of Israel, um, central biblical elements. And these, these elements, um, uh, as far as I can tell, these, these are the, the central ones. Uh, I, might could have, I might could also have added some others, but I had to get rid of a chapter on providence because the book got too long. And so I had to, I just chopped that out. But, you know, they, uh, these elements, um, you know, the whole uh, understanding of creation, the creator, the creator God, um, Israel's scriptures, uh, the, the Exodus, the Torah, the temple, um, covenant with David and the Davidic king. You know, certainly these elements are, are central, um, not only to um, Judaism, both biblical and, and today, but, but also, also to Christians. And since I am, I am doing a Christian theology here, this is a, uh, my work is an attempt to reflect as a Christian theologian, you know, in a way that, um, you know, acknowledges the fulfillment of these um, uh, areas these domains, these acts of, of God, of fulfillment in Christ. Now, fulfillment is not consummation. You know, so it, a fulfillment, fulfillment that is still awaiting the final consummation. And so during that time of, of waiting, um, it's possible to have a, a fulfillment that is not a harsh supersession. In other words, um, it's possible to have a fulfillment that doesn't mean that we, we need to um, go around condemning the ongoing Jewish people and in fact, um, we rather than condemning, we need to we need to really um, repent for for how we've treated the ongoing Jewish people. We being um, Christian Christians over the, over the centuries. As an example, would you give a summary of how the chapter on Exodus develops? <laughs> well, the chapter on Exodus that was a fun one to write because um, you know when I write on the Exodus, I have the the new Exodus in mind. You know that that's what I'm headed toward, and and of course you're you're the expert on that, and then so I I'm reflecting throughout the chapter. Really, I've got in the background this sense of the uh, um you know the Christ coming, bringing about the new Exodus, and so um, the church is the people of God on on the new Exodus, and um, there's there we are headed to the true um, promised land of, of which we already have a foretaste. Uh, which were already in some way present there with Christ, but yet it's not not in a consummated way. So anyway, that's the the kind of the the telos of the chapter. But then I I develop the discussion by reflecting upon two dimensions of the Exodus, and and I do so in dialogue with um, Jewish thinkers, especially Jonathan Sachs. Rabbi Rabbi Sachs uh, died recently, but was um, just such a beautiful thinker. So I, I reflect upon these two elements. The two elements are, the first one is um, suffering, sin, and death. And so I, I point out that when God rescues his people from Egypt, Egyptian slavery, the people are suffering. They are, um, they are suffering. They are dying. And God brings them out. He, he redeems them so that they can truly worship him, but also he promises to lead them to a land where they will, will flourish. 
But, but unfortunately, during the Exodus, they continued to suffer tremendously, and they continued to sin and rebel. And so I'm, I'm interested in that tension, that, that tension between the fact that God has rescued his people, and God has rescued his people from uh, slavery to suffering and to, to dying under the hand of the oppressor. But on the other hand, the people continue to suffer, and they continue to die, and they continue to sin. So this is a tension that I think we can, you can see on the new Exodus as well. But then, then the second element um, that, I'm, that I'm interested in here uh, has to do with like the corporate or political um, element. And that's really brought out um, very strongly by uh, Rabbi Sachs. So he really um, sees the Exodus as a work of divine nation building, building the people of Israel. And I have to admit that before I read his work, I tended to think of the Exodus um, more simply spiritually. Uh, I didn't think of it as a work of nation building. I, I figured that, I don't know why I did not think of that. I guess I, I thought the nation building came later with the Torah and um, with Sinai and, and then with the um, covenant with David or something. But whatever the reason uh, that I didn't think of it that way, I'm completely persuaded that Rabbi Sachs is really correct to point our attention to the fact that the new Exodus, now speaking as a Christian, the new Exodus is a corporate reality where God is bringing us into Christ. He's forming us as a people. And that's, that's part of the explanation for why we continue to suffer is that we are being configured into Christ, but we are being configured into Christ as, as a people that that um, in the same way that God builds up a people um, through the um, trials of the Exodus in those, those 40 years of wandering. You know, so, so that's, that's, what I, that's what I had in view there, those two elements. Well, how about giving us a taste of another chapter? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like the, in, in a certain way, the most important chapter is the chapter on, on Jewish-Christian dialogue. You know, but... I, I don't know that it's it's a it was a difficult chapter to write. Um, what one thing that I've noticed in among um, at least my 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 Christian friends, and who are who are scholars who are professors tend to be, you know, so they they um, it's it's become more difficult to do um, Jewish Christian dialogue with um, ongoing what I call ongoing Judaism. And, and the reason is, is that um, they, they all, the problems are, are, so, are so present, the, the tensions are so present, the ones that I, that I mentioned to you, the, the differences, especially the difference over whether the Messiah has come. So instead, um, instead my friends are, tend to be turning toward dialogue with um, Messianic Judaism uh, through my friend, uh, Mark Kinzer. And so Messianic Judaism is uh, easier to dialogue with. I mean, you're still dialoguing with Jews, but it's easier to dialogue with because you have an agreement about the Messiah. And so then, there, then what you do is you focus your dialogue on sort of um, uh, projects to reconstitute the Christian church and to re-understand the Christian church now in a bilateral way with a, with a Jewish ecclesia and a Gentile ecclesia but in some way, um, so the Jewish ecclesia can continue to observe um, Torah um, as it's observed by, uh, you know, Torah observant uh, rabbinic Jews. But so I, 
I, I don't want to be in opposition to um, people who believe in Jesus as the Messiah. <laughs> but I do, I do have some concerns and some questions whether um, that should be our primary focus in Jewish Christian dialogue. And, and so I, I bring those out in, in that chapter. That's one part of the chapter that I thought I'd mention here, um, just because it's, uh, in, in, in my view, um, we, one of the painful aspects, the one that needs to be attended to, because it's, because it's true, is uh, the fact that Jesus does fulfill Torah. And now Torah is, we, we continue to, we as Christians continue to obey Torah. We continue, we are, but we do it in a transfigured mode, in a fulfilled mode in the Messiah. So we share in the messianic fulfillment of Torah and temple. And as we share in this messianic reconfigured Israel, we we are truly part as even as um, Gentiles, if, if, if that's what we're, if, if we want to call us that, um, we are truly part of the messianically reconfigured Israel, the eschatological uh, Israel. And so the inaugurated kingdom, now not consummated. Um, but so, so to me, there's a danger then of going back beyond, behind Paul, you know, going back behind, um, you know, getting rid of Galatians or, you know, using a couple texts in the book of Acts to reinterpret these matters. And so, so you can see that I'm, I'm very much committed to this understanding of um, a messianic fulfillment and reconfiguration of um, Torah, temple, and so on, um, you know, around the Messiah and, and, the, and opening up to um, Jews and Gentiles who are now no longer divided because we both observe Torah and temple. We both observe it in the Messiah. See, we're, you know, that's, I'm talking about Christian Jews and, and Christian Gentiles. Anyway, this, that's one of the um, kind of topics that, that now, now is, uh, needs to be discussed because it's become, you know, prominent. So there, there's, so much, there's so much other stuff, though, also in, in that chapter on Jewish-Christian dialogue, because, of course, there's all these painful texts, especially the Gospel of John has a number of painful texts that have caused Christians uh, to persecute uh, the, the Jewish people. And then there's also, also an argument that I make that, I, that I'd like to mention here, which is that another controversial area, which is that I make the argument that Christians, um, Gentiles, Christians, but Christians, um, have been hardened. Not, um, you recall that um, uh, St. Paul talks about the hardening that has, has come upon um, Israel, uh, the, you know, the blindness or whatever. But I, I say that Christians, the Gentiles, also have been hardened, and, and because um, God has permitted the Gentiles to boast over the branches. And God has permitted, by the Gentiles, yeah, I mean um, Christians. So Christians um, began early on, pretty much immediately, as I see it, uh, and as Paul sees it too, Paul's very worried about the boasting over the branches that he is finding among, um, you know, it, this is in Romans, and he's finding already, already this, this um, manifestation. And so Christians have been boasting over the branches for quite a long time. And, and the problem, though, is it, it caused scandal. And the scandal it caused was um, the Jewish people could not see, and God, God permitted this. God permitted Christians to fall into this, um, but what happened was that Christians preach hate toward the Jewish people, and that was that caused a tremendous scandal because, of course, it, it made it impossible for the Jewish people to to see 
to see Christ. Because when they hear the word Christ, they think of some sort of um, pogrom or some um, vicious attack, you know, and so they don't see, they can't, they don't hear love um, by any means. So, and so God has permitted um, his Jewish people and his Christ, the Christian uh, flock, um, you know, both in a different way have been permitted in my view to, to be hardened uh, vis-a-vis the other. And, and so I make, I make that argument. And the part of the point of the argument is that, um, that the Jewish people are not in some state of culpable guilt they, um, for, for rejecting the Messiah. They're, they're not in some state of guilt for that. And, um, and then I also, also, because they're not in a state of guilt because, because Christians <laughs> have scandalized them and, and it's just, you know, uh, there's, there's no way that they could possibly perceive as I'm talking about the Jewish people as a whole here. But of course, um, of course, you do have, um, you know, God's grace works in, in wonderful ways, and and there are um, there are um, conversions and so on. But my my basic point is um, that to love our Jewish brethren, that's just a crucial desideratum. You know, we need, we must, we must. It's part of the gospel. We must love our, our Jewish brethren, and we need to learn to value their incredible spiritual theological insights and the beauty of their faith. Uh, you know, so I, I really work hard in this book, which is a book of Christian theology. I work hard to, to do these things, but but we'll see whether we'll see whether it succeeded. <laughs> Matthew, what's next for you in terms of publication? Uh, well, you know, so I'm doing um, di- different things. That with a with a friend of mine, Michael Duffinghan, I published a book called "The Wisdom of the Word," and we were we were trying to help Catholics appreciate uh, the beauty of Scripture, especially Catholics and other Christians, really, um, especially young Catholics who are falling away from from faith and who no longer see the power of, of God's Word, got the scriptural vision. You know, so that that was the goal there, and um, then, then I'm I'm doing other things, di- different different projects. <laughs> so you're right. I always I always keep on. I I really want to. I do I do want to do a book on um, the incarnation. I I did a book called Did Jesus Rise from the Dead, and I'd like to do now a book about um, the why the incarnation makes sense. Now I know I know we have to believe in the incarnation. It's a matter of faith, I know, but um, but I, I feel that sometimes our contemporaries who are not Christian um, just think the incarnation sounds like a, some sort of mythological or, or, or some sort of nonsense. But um, I'd like to do a book then um, talking talking about the incarnation, why that makes sense. Thank you, Matthew, for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. It's been very helpful. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.